Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or your life, this is the place for you. We'll talk all things burnout from personal stories of successful recovery to the latest and greatest in treatment methods that actually work. Fried is brought to you by me, acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, who is determined to change the current burnout culture. Okay, this is very exciting. Today I have with me Molly Dyer, who is a licensed acupuncturist and board certified herbalist in Denver, Colorado. She specializes in treating children, but continues to treat all ages from infants to elders. She's the owner of Light and Dark Acupuncture. Ms. Dyer loves crafting herbal formulations or products that solve health mysteries and challenges. When she's not doing acupuncture, she can be found teaching quirky, non-traditional, not so serious, tap dance classes for adults through her other business, Tappy Feet. Molly is co-owner and co-instructor at Tappy Feet, a Denver-based company that helps adults laugh, connect, and move through tap dance classes, products, and events. Tappy Feet provides classes for all levels, adult tap dance birthday parties, and team bonding events that involve acting ridiculous while wearing tap shoes and very low expectations around actual tap dancing. When I got your bio, Molly, I really laughed. I just thought... (laughs) I, I just loved it. So thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Thanks and for having me. The first thing that I would like to ask you is, when did you burn out? What did that look like for you? What's, what's your burnout story? So um, I was teaching for five years. I was running after-school programs for at-risk youth. And my burnout um, occurred probably in the last like year that I was working I mean, I was super passionate about working with kids, but um, I just reached a level of physical burnout that sort of created a level of emotional burnout. And I was just like, I have got to get out of this um, career because I was so tired at the end of every day. Like I would literally, I felt like my brain was breaking down. You know, I used to have conversations with a girl that I worked with as we would ride the bus home. And I, she knew that, about halfway through the bus ride, I would start um, not being able to speak. Like my brain would just, just turn off. And so she knew that I was just reaching fatigue. And so then after that, I would just need quiet. I would just need to kind of, you know, phase out and sit (laughs) for a while. And so that was happening for probably the last year that I was teaching. Um, And I was sort of, um, looking for a job that would be quiet and that would involve no children. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what happened is that I found acupuncture. I was, I was laying in a, um, in an acupuncture treatment and I was laying there and thinking, I need a quiet job. I need a really relaxing job, something like this. (laughs) Um, and so that that was when I decided to look into acupuncture schools. And of course, if you know acupuncture, it's not necessarily as quiet and relaxing as I thought it was. Nope. <laughs> but um, but it is it is different um, and in a very good way. And um, the funny thing is that I accidentally became an, a, a pediatric specialist after that. So, so you came back around to working with yeah. children after all those years, which is part of your story that I really, really loved. There's, 
there's so much information out there, especially right now in the world of positive thinking and positive psychology, that if you just change your mind about things, you'll sort of be fine. And if you follow your passion, then everything will be okay. And what's interesting to me about your story is that you love children and you are passionate enough about them to now have a pediatric acupuncture practice. So it wasn't necessarily the quote unquote wrong passion. It was the wrong job. Mm -hmm. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Right. So that's hard. I think for people to understand that if you're following your passion, you can still sort of fuck up, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, different to work with 16 kids at one time versus one child at a time. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you said that the first thing for you was physical and that turned into emotional. This is interesting to me because I did a survey um, amongst my clients and amongst my Instagram followers recently. And I asked people whether or not they had, whether they had physical symptoms of burnout first or emotional symptoms of burnout first. And because I do so much emotional work, I sort of assumed that people were going to say that they felt the mental aspect of it first. And it was like 80 to 20, 80% to 20% in answers. 80% of people said there was a physical thing first. So can you tell me what was happening physically in your body? Like you said you were fatigued, but were there other signs that were really clear to you? Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I I feel like uh, I, f- you know, being the acupuncturist that I am, I feel like my fatigue and le- like uh, to the level of lethargy yeah. um, was associated with digestive issues, okay. um, and and obviously mental like fog, mental fog. Um, those were the main things that I was experiencing at the time. Um, that were physical. I mean, I definitely had some emotional burnout stuff going on too. Right. Um, but those were the those were the main ones. And when you say fatigued, did you feel tired? In you said that your brain was tired. Did you? Because to me, what I have in my clinic when I talk to patients and they tell me that they're fatigued, I ask them if their brain is tired, if their eyes are tired, or if their body their muscles are tired. You did say that your brain just was like done. Yeah. You just couldn't like literally when people say, I literally cannot right now, you were actually at that place where you literally could not. (laughs) Yep. Right. So was that the most significant part of the fatigue or were you also like fatigued in a, in a muscular sense? That was the most significant part of the fatigue, but I did experience muscular fatigue as well. And when I went, when I um, left teaching to go to acupuncture school, I finally got about, I think about a year later, I got to the point where I could do workouts. And like before that, I felt like I would go to the gym and I just, I couldn't, you know, Um, like I couldn't complete a workout. I complained the entire time. I mean, I felt just heavy. You know, that was my experience too. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting about that is people are like, exercise is healthy. And I totally agree. I'm not saying exercise isn't healthy. There's a ton of research about how it changes brain plasticity and improves just a million different things. I mean, we could do an entire year long podcast just about that. But when you're burnt out, when you're actually not when you're just tired, when you need a vacation, not that when you're really burnt out 
you can't exercise normally. Right. And I think this is really important because eventually, in order to heal from burnout, you need to be able to exercise. But I always tell people to start with like five jumping jacks a day. And I'm not kidding. People laugh and they think that I'm kind of making a joke. And I'm like, I'm very serious about this right now. Because if, when you're really burnt out, pushing yourself on that physical level is not helpful. Yeah. And that's such a, such an acupuncturist mindset because we really know that there's balance between um, activity and rest and that you have to balance both. And that sometimes if you're in a place where you can't, um, you just don't have the strength for activity, we know that that's coming from a deep, deep need for rest and that the rest has to come first in order. I mean, not always, but I think that in general, Sometimes the rest has to come first. You have to get your body to a level of re- rejuvenate, you know, rejuvenation. Excuse me, um, before you can can go to the other side. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. And in the world of like, just push yourself and do the next thing and exercise and fitness and Instagram. This woman is constantly doing squats on your Instagram feed, like. <laughs> It feels, it feels like you're supposed to do all the things all the time. And when you're burnt out, you just, you, you can't. Right. You just simply can't. And so I want to take a second to give the listeners um, permission to just sit. If that's where you are right now, if that's what's going on for you. And when you're working out, you're feeling like super heavy. Heavy is the same word that I used to describe it. I remember I was living in Prague at the time. And I had to take the tram to it. I didn't have to. I took the tram to and from work. And the walk home from the tram stop was four minutes long. Just four minutes. But it was uphill the whole way. When I was burnt out, I could only walk two minutes and then I had to take a break. Yeah. You know, like I'm an athlete. I was a competitive gymnast growing up. I was the captain of my field hockey team. I ran track. Like I've exercised my whole life. And when I was burnt out, it was two minutes and then a break and then two minutes. And then I got home, laid on the couch and thought, holy shit, I have to take my dog for a walk. Like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the important thing there too is dealing with the guilt and shame that sometimes occurs if you're giving yourself permission to slow down because, you know, people really feel like they are failing if they're not cap- capable of getting things done. And that creates a vicious cycle. You know, you're not able to move, then you can't complete the things you're hoping to complete, then you feel guilt and shame about it. And you're not able to get do anything about that because you, yeah. you're not able to move. And it's, yeah. um, it's not a question of, you know, do you have the motivation to get up and move? It's a question of like, I mean, some people just don't have access to that motivation, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's not their fault. And another thing that you said that was interesting when you were telling your story is you felt like you're brain was sort of uh, shrinking, like it was breaking down, you said, mm-hmm. actually, those are the words you use, breaking down. And the I've done a ton of research on burnout over the past year. I started writing a book last August, and I was in Croatia by myself for 10 days. And the only thing I did in Croatia was eat, sleep, exercise, and write this book. Cool. And Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, one, it was wonderful. Um, the book still isn't finished. However, I did take that time to do a ton of research. And what I found was that long-term, 
chronic stress, the kind of chronic stress that leads to burnout, because you can burn out after like a major disruption in your life. But usually it's this kind of insidious, long term chronic stress that you don't even really know you're having that gets you. And when you're in that phase for a long time, your frontal cortex and your limbic system both shrink, literally physically shrink in size. Yeah, that's, that, that makes sense. And I, you know, if I can piggyback on that, I would just add that I have so many clients who, you know, I ask them about their stress level and they say, that's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. You know, my stress level's okay. And then I look at their tongue and I take their pulse and I see signs of stress or signs of stagnation, you know, lack of flow. These are things that we look for in, in Eastern medicine to identify stress. And I remind them, um, you know, without saying anything about, you know, cause I definitely want them to still feel like their stress is manageable, but I remind them that, you know, sometimes even just being busy can create stressors, yeah. it, you know, can create a stress response. And, um, that we have to remember that there's what our, what we feel like our stress level is and there's how we cope with stress and that's great. If you're somebody who copes with stress well, awesome. But like, we're surrounded by stressors. That's life. You know, yeah. we're surrounded by things that matter to us, that we're inspired by, that we care about, and that don't always go our way. And so, you know, I think sometimes we have to look at it from the perspective of what are the stressors in your life and, and how do you cope? You know, and it's great that people sometimes feel like, well, I cope with stress really well. And I think that's what they're trying to tell me when they say that their stress level is really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, granted, there are people who really, really have a great, you know, stress level. Because um, people are not always coming for acupuncture treatments. <laughs> that's true. They're not usually in the treatment room. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the other part of that, in, in my clinic, I ask people about their stress level, but then I ask them about their rest level. Nice. Which I think is the flip side of that question when people tell me that their stress is really good and I say okay well how is your rest how do you rejuvenate and then they look at me sideways I'm like okay like you can deal with stress as much as you want but if you do not take the time to regenerate your brain will shrink literally <laughs> physically your brain is shrinking and so then when when that happens you get caught in this system where you're unable to cope with stress the way that you used to because your system is not functioning to the level that it used to function at. And to get it back, you must rest there and you have to rest. There's absolutely. no, you know, there's no other way to do it. So I, I just think that that's absolutely fascinating. And I could probably um, go on about that for hours. But what I also want to talk to you about is you are the co-owner and co-instructor at Tappy Feet. And you provide classes for adult for adults. Well, it says all levels, but adult. And you do team bonding events. And it says that involve acting ridiculous while wearing tap shoes and very low expectations around actual tap dancing. As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, my God, I want to go play. You should. That's so <laughs> You're fun. in Denver. You should come play. Oh, my God. That's so fun. And so and what you one thing that you wrote was that you feel like your passion for tap dancing helps you to avoid work burnout 
And so again, I'm going to come back to this idea that even when your work is your passion, it can be heavy. Like I love acupuncture and Chinese medicine. It is an incredible job. And the things that I have seen happen over the past 12 years of work and another four of study are absolutely unbelievable. And at the same time, I burnt out twice. You know, like it's, yeah. it, I still burnt out twice, even though I love this job. And so what you're saying is you do use passion to help avoid burnout, even though you love your job. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you so, talk to me about that? I want to hear all about the tap dancing and all about the passion behind it. And, and you said something really interesting, the get out of my head and into my feet therapy. So I mm -hmm. want to talk about all, all the things around that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I started tap dancing in college and it's always been there. I just couldn't stop. I just, I love rhythm and I think rhythm brings people together and that's what I'm all about. And so I've always done it in the background as just a side hobby. And, um, I, I think that being in Chinese medicine, it's an easy place to get burnt out because as much as it is an amazing career, it's an easy place to get burnt out because there is a vast world of Chinese in Eastern thought. Um, and there's so you can get lost in it. You can feel like there's so still so much to learn, you know? Um, and so, you know, in order to, and also because as Chinese medicine practitioners, we're not, really well deeply trained and being an entrepreneur and as soon as you graduate from acupuncture school or or wherever you do your program that's what you have to learn is how do I run a business and that's a whole nother world and so we're trying to juggle all the balls and do a million things and um, so it's easy to get burnt out tap dance um, we you know in tappy feet we really um, use tap dance to sort of inspire play in adults. And so we have a lot of adults that come to us that are, that are either, you know, dealing with depression or anxiety or, um, or burnout or, you know, they we have, I don't know what it is about the IT field, but all of our men in our classes are in the IT field, all except one. Um, and it's clear to me that that's happening because they need something to balance sitting at a desk all day. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we, we get in there and we have um, our classes are non-traditional in the sense that usually when you take a dance class, you um, learn a few steps and then you practice them going across the floor and then you practice a few steps in the center of the room and then you work on a, a combination like a dance. Right. And that is not how we run our classes. We do games and activities and they're all built at specific um, skill building. Um, they work on coordination, balance, uh, memory, focus, dance. Tap dance is, I like to say that it's more brain exercise than it is physical exercise. I think our class is that way. If you take a legit tap dance class, it yeah. will be physical exercise too. But ours is a lot of like, kind of laughing, uh, you know, joking around, trying an exercise, and then we do a dance at the end. Um, and we work on a dance for a couple months at a time. And, um, but we do, we get all kinds of people who are, are dealing with 
you know, burnout. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, it is a get out of my head and into my feet therapy, because when you're trying to tell your feet what to do, and you're trying to move them in a way that, you know, is complex. If you've never done that before, it's certainly challenging. You don't have a second to think about responsibility or adulting, like not a second while you're in that class. Yes. And, uh, and if you've done it before and you know how to tap dance, you're still, you're focusing on the movements and the rhythm and the technicality of it and perfecting the things that are challenging. It's always a challenge. It's always something that you can strive for. Um, yeah. This is so. a, there's a theory. Do you know the theory of deep practice? No, I don't. There's a theory of becoming an expert in something, how um, talent has a certain percentage to do with it, but much less than we originally assume. And that the, the action of deep practice is um, sort of the most important thing when it comes to the, the really great talents that last for more than just like a one hit wonder, one Olympic game sort of thing. They And the idea is that deep practice involves focusing on one thing pretty intently and making a mistake and being totally okay with the mistake because you're like, oh, this is where I failed and that's what I need to fix. And then working on fixing it and working on fixing it until you fix it. And then noticing the next mistake and working on fixing it until you fix it. And there's something about being in that state that is very meditative and the brain waves that happen in that state are almost trance-like. So this is a natural way for your brain to regenerate because you're automatically in this like theta wave place. Mm-hmm. when you're in a place of deep practice and we don't deep practice as people in mm-hmm. life especially now because deep practice requires a level of focus that basically our cell phones don't allow us to have or or we allow our cell phones to disrupt us from having right we're, we're constantly reacting to a noise there's a beep there's a message there's a thing there's a this there's a that and where our, our energy is all over the place all the time. So we don't ever, we're never in that place where we're just practicing something. I love that. I'm going to bring that to Tappy Feet class because that, even though I didn't know that concept before now, um, my business partner, she lives that way. I mean, she is, she's an artist and she is all about do it a million times and you'll get better, you know? And don't beat yourself up. Yeah, she's right. I mean, she's like, don't beat yourself up. Just try again. She made this goal for herself. Um, You'll love this. If anybody, if any tap dancers are listening, they're going to know all about what I'm talking about. But so there's a New York tap festival. It's called Big Apple Tap Fest, I think. I don't, I don't usually go to tap festivals, uh, but just because of, you know, like I don't have time. I'm running two businesses and finances, yada, yada. But she does. She goes to tap festivals and brings back a bunch of inspiration for our classes. And she goes to Big Apple every year. And um, she has been, she one year she said, you know, I'm going to put in a video of myself tap dancing to try to get into the, the performance that they do every year. But like we're talking Big Apple, right? We're talking the best tap dancers out there. And, you know, we're, we're little, we, we're intermediate intermediately advanced tap dancers, yeah, um, but not, not at the level of these professional tap dancers out there. And so she's like, you know, she's in there with the big wigs and she was like, I'm so nervous. She worked on that dance for an entire year, then filmed it and sent it in. She's like, I don't care if I get rejected. It's not about, it's not about getting rejected. It's about having the strength 
to put myself out there and believe that, you know, there's a possibility that someday I could get in. She didn't get in that year. She put it in again. She didn't get in that year. <laughs> um, and so she's done two, she's done it two different times now. She hasn't gotten in yet, but she just keeps doing it. Cause she's like, it's not about, you know, being a performer. It's about having the courage to try again. And I love that about her. She's, um, she's an inspiration for me because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and there's a lot of perfectionists that come to our class and we deal with that where we're like, got to let it go. You know, you've got to let it go. If you want to get better at this, it happens over time. Yeah. And perfectionism goes hand in hand with burnout for a lot of times, a lot of times, because we're unable to to let things go. I say we, because I I put myself in that category. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, this is super fascinating to me. I loved that story. And it's something that I think is being very sort of broken down in the culture that we're living in right now in the States where everybody's getting a blue ribbon and there's no sort of incentive to really put your whole heart into something. And people are being told, well, if you just are happy, then it's fine. And they're, they're unable to create this sort of sense of happiness because they think that they're supposed to have to do something or be something to get there. And they're not willing to go through the sort of shit that it takes to get there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like I'm talking about two different things right now, but I have so there's, I, I love that story so much. And there's, so, it, it created so many connections in my brain and I have to, I have to choose one and sort of go with it. I just feel like that this concept of deep practice and really putting yourself out there and really being sort of okay with failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being okay with failure. Like I run a, a challenge called the get out of your own way challenge. I run it three times a year online And one of the days is all about like learning to accept failure and not having failure be, even when I say it, the word is so heavy and so loaded and it's just really not a big deal. Like I, I just moved back from the, from Europe to the States about a few months ago. And one of my cousins was like, yeah, but you're successful at everything. Like you'll figure it out. And I thought to myself, wow, he has no idea how many times I failed on my way to these successes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He has no clue how many times I failed. And it's possible that's because I was not vulnerable about those stories of failing. But really, in my mind, I don't think about failing that, even as a perfectionist, I don't think about failing that much. But when I read the thing about deep practice, I realized that there were quite a few areas in my life that I was not allowing myself to go there. Like I'm okay with failing when, while I build a business because you have to learn things and eventually you're going to be successful. Like if you, if you stick to it, eventually you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I sort of believed that. So it didn't bother me, but there's definitely things that I gave up on. Right. Definitely. And one of them was salsa dancing. So when I was reading <laughs> One of them was salsa dancing and it was because I had such a hard time being led, not being in control, Mm -hmm. that I I couldn't listen to the other person's body. Yeah, I can understand that as a perfectionist and it it is hard to truly give up control. That's true. It really is. But allowing yourself to be bad at something and go into this place of deep practice is so healing. Yeah, absolutely. You create space for yourself to do that and space for other people to do that. In addition to being a healer on a day-to-day basis, that's, that's a whole lot of healing, Molly. 
Yeah. Well, it brings a lot of balance to my life. And I will say that there are days, um, like Thursday is my longest day. I work the most hours that day. And at the end of the day, I go teach tap dance and I, I show up in my tap dance class and I feel like I can't move. I lay on the floor until the (laughs) the class starts. (laughs) And then as soon as we turn the music on, all the energy returns, everything comes back because we're laughing and we're dancing and we're, and you know, we're connecting the group that's in there is connecting and it's just such a healing environment for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I keep balance in my life. I love that so much. And I think I'm going to, um, pull up your website for a second, your acupuncture website, because I think one of the other reasons um, that you've managed to avoid burnout going forward is because you give patients things that you needed and therefore create an environment where those things are uh, appreciated. And so one of the things that I read on your website that I loved and wrote down was, we value the courage and resilience with which our patients face adversity, even when they cannot see it with their own eyes. This is like, I will cry just reading it. And it goes in line with one of the values that you wrote down of, you know, to heal means to be unheard, understood, accepted, loved, and validated. You're taking the time to see people. Absolutely. And I think that there is just such power in that. And when you create an environment that's built on that, you also allow yourself to be heard and understood and accepted and loved and validated. I like teared up when you read it. <laughs> yeah, me too. It, it also, because that's what I feel so passionate about, you know, and that's why my practice is named light and dark acupuncture, that yeah. it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're in. It doesn't matter if you're going through the rough spots. It doesn't matter if you're celebrating the, the successes, you know, that, that we're there with you through it all you know, because that's validation and that's feeling heard and that's feeling accepted and valued, you know? So that is, it's nice that you took the time to go through my website. Thank you so much and read the things that I really care about. This was so, so important to me and something that I carried through my practice and almost didn't realize it until patients told me. So when I saw you writing it from the beginning, you know, you were telling them that that was happening. I was like, hot damn, that is some good self-awareness. <laughs> I, I missed that part. You know, I, I started practicing acupuncture when I was 24 years old. So I started in this really young. I started acupuncture school at 19. And so I, I've had to grow up with it and grow up with my practice. And this sentence basically sums up what I think healing really is. And I just think I'm going to read it one more time just so that people don't have to go back to listen again, because I think it's so powerful. So I'm going to just read it one more time so that we can let it soak in for a second, because I just think it's magical. You wrote, we value the courage and resilience with which our patients face adversity, even when they cannot see it with their own eyes. It's just beautiful. And the next thing that I noticed on your website, which I thought, ding, 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 we're going to have to talk about this, is you run a workshop for tools for the sensitive for people that are HSP. So 
Yeah, I would like <laughs> for you to tell people this is a chapter in my book. Um, this is something that's really important to me. So I would like you to tell people what HSP means and, and what kind of workshop things you would do to help people deal with it. So my workshop is taught partially by me and partially by a woman who I know and dearly, dearly love, um, who is Native American. Her name is Joy Gray, Dr. Joy Gray, and she goes by Granddaughter Crow. And she presents a lot of the science around HSP, but that's a highly sensitive person is what that stands for. And there's, I think, I think the website is highlysensitiveperson.com. I think so too. And you can take a quiz and see if you fall on that spectrum highly sensitive people are on a spectrum. So you can be on the spectrum or off the spectrum. And then once you're, if you're on the spectrum, you can be a varying level or degree of highly sensitive person. And there are different, um, there are different things that people can be highly sensitive about. And what that means is sort of, um, so there are some um, indicators that people are highly sensitive people, um, like that they deeply process their experiences and, um, that they notice the subtleties in their environment and that they're, um, what does that mean? Um, uh, notice this. Well, so there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this, uh, that granddaughter crow could probably say this better, but I know that one of the things she discusses is how they've done some research on, um, different populations of humans and animals where they'll have a routine set up. Like, you know, you get your food at this time and this is what goes on throughout your day. And then they'll introduce a new stimulus. Like um, here's your food, but also here's a little teddy bear. You know, that's, that's not what they did in the, I'm using it. But um, here's a little teddy bear and that there will be a certain percentage of the population it's really like, what is that teddy bear? I don't know if I should eat this food. Like, this isn't how we do things. This is different. Yeah. Um, versus the ones that just go straight to the food. Like, oh, my food's here. This is what time we get the food, you know? Right. And, and this so, is about 20% of both the human and animal population of the, of the earth. That's right. 15 to 20% yeah. of yeah. all of those. They've studied a bunch of different animals, and it's not just the human population. Right. I think one of the ones that they studied was fruit flies, which wow. I think is so fascinating how you can tell if a fruit fly has highly sensitive uh, behavior. What would a fruit fly say if it was stressed out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could come up with something yeah, right. quick with that, but I, I <laughs> But <know>. no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, so highly sensitive people, um, you know, I think the thing is that, you know, the, the research is showing that they believe that they're here for the survival of the species. And, you know, what that means is a big, that's a big, answer. you know, there's a big question. I think there's a lot of uh, reasons that it's a gift to be a highly sensitive person. And yet it can be a curse. It can be hard because, you know, when you're highly aware of what's taking place around you, the energy that's in the room around you, you know, you know, a lot of times we, we, we don't notice that that's what we're doing. We don't notice that we're reflecting the energy that's in the room around us. We don't notice that we're impacted by the things taking place in the world around us. And when that's the case, we can be stuck in a, in a pattern of, you know, discomfort, um, whether it's depression or anxiety or worry, or, you know, um, just because we're just responding to the energies around us. And so to, to bring awareness to that is one of the things we do in that workshop, um, to, uh, 
to give yeah some some tools and some education around what is happening to us what's happening to our brains when this is happening and um, what's happening in our bodies when we're sort of reflecting that behavior and how do we recognize it that's one of the things we do and then we give some some t- tips and tools about how do we handle it in those situations what are some things we can do if we're uncomfortable if we don't know how to handle a situation where we're um, where we're uncomfortable you know yeah um, and so, so I didn't know that I was uh, HSP for a long long time and I also had no idea that I had anxiety mm. So because I was so clear that I was helping other people and I was, I had done, you know, I was one of those people that was like, yeah, but I've, I've done the work, you know, like I've, mm-hmm. I've read all the books and I've talked to therapists and I've done acupuncture and I meditate and I've qigong and I can heal you with my hands and, and kind of all this, like, I was very impressed with myself um, for a while and that changed. <laughs> and I realized that I am, I, when I did the HSP quiz, I think it goes up to 25 points and I was 25 out of 25. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And <laughs> then I started thinking about it and I was living, and, and this is part of my burnout, why I burnt out. There's many, many, many different things that, that kind of went into it, but this was a huge part. I was living in high anxiety and in denial of high anxiety for about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. I probably was doing it even before that as a child, and I literally had no idea. Other people have those problems, not me. I have all the knowledge. I've, I, I read like 60 books a year. Like I've read every self-help book there is. I follow people. I listen. I watch the things. I do, I do the stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was clueless until about five years ago. Like I'll be 37 in two months. I had no idea. And it was shocking to me. And it was shocking to me that not everybody feels that way. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought everybody was walking around like this. So I thought it was normal until I realized that it wasn't. And one of the things that I laughed out loud when I was going through the questions or I read her book, the woman that, that um, came up, the, the HSP theory, I don't remember her name, El- Elaine. Dr. Elaine Aaron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I was going I think through her book and she wrote something about seams on socks how especially as children like socks would bother you because of the seam inside of them and I laughed out loud because that still bothers me I will take off my shoe in the middle of a store I do not care if 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 the seam is not in the right place I will go to a store and ask them for scissors if I am out in public and I'm wearing a t-shirt that has a tag on this, like in the side of it, and I can feel it rubbing against my side, I will like hunt down a pair of scissors to get rid of that tag because I cannot think about anything else but the sensation of that tag on my body. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's definitely one of the, the, you know, traits of a highly sensitive person. And it's, you know, something that I think people can really, people can really relate to. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of patients come through with it. And especially when I started focusing on burnout, I kept seeing it over and over again. People that didn't know that they were more sensitive than the average person. Or even maybe were told, oh, you're too sensitive. Kind of like, but, but actually physically, if, if you're in this 15 to 20% of people that has this issue, you, your nervous system 
is literally more reactive than everybody else is. So you are literally more sensitive. You feel things easier and more strongly. So that's true, but not in a bad way. You, you are too sensitive, kind of, but not in a bad way. This is not a, this is not a judgment. It's just a statement of facts. You are more sensitive than the average person. You are taking in more information than the average person. A lot of healers are HSP because it allows us to tap into the energy of the people that we're working with. Absolutely. Right? Because we can feel it. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that we also discuss in the class is that, you know, the place that accepts all of this extrasensory, you know, perception is your ne nervous system. And that, you know, that is what we need to protect. And yeah. that is why we offer the tools for right. high So what would you say, like, if there's somebody out there that's like, oh my God, that's me right now. And you had to give them sort of one, one basic tool that they could use right now. Super simple. The simplest one, you know, I know I'm totally putting you on the spot right now. No, you're totally fine. You're totally um, what would you, what would you tell them? Um, okay. So, uh, one of my faves that I use a lot is simply put your fingertips together. I've been sitting like that this whole time, <laughs> but it is, um, it is, uh, a quick and somewhat not notice a quick, you know, less noticeable way of bringing your energy back to yourself because, um, you know, if energy, you know, there are, there are perceptions that there's a, a receiving arm and a giving arm. And if that's the case, you know, energy comes in one arm and out the other, you know, whether or not that's your belief, what you're doing when you connect those two is you're allowing energy to flow it in through you and out through you and back in through you and back out through you, you know, so you simply put your fingertips together and it brings you back. And that's um, something that you can do anywhere. Nobody's going to look at you funny. It's, you don't right. have to do some weird exercise. It's, it's, this is a great exercise. I, I haven't even heard of this one before and I love it already. And I especially love it because Chinese medicine, there's a um, point in the center of the palm called pericardium. I'm not telling you this, Molly. I know that you know this. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a point in the center of the palm called pericardium eight. And it is the point that they have used um, when they study long-term meditators and Qigong healers and other energy healers to measure the frequency of energy that's emitted from their hands. Like it's actually physically, me physically measurable and it's about a thousand times stronger, the energy from a healer's hand than in, when they're in a healing mode, because they can turn it on and turn it off. When they're in a healing mode is about a thousand times stronger than the average person. So if you're putting your fingers together that way, you're also putting those two points of the highest concentration of energy across from one another. And when that energy reaches each other, it travels up your arms and goes through your heart, right? In Chinese medicine, because the pericardium goes through the heart, the pericardium channel, and the heart channel is there anyway. So, mm -hmm. so the, the energy in, it just makes sense because it feels good. I'm sitting here doing it now. Mm -hmm. It also makes sense because you can do it anywhere and it's not going to be bothering anyone and you're not going to feel like a weirdo. And on a Chinese medicine level, it literally physically calms the heart, which is amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it really correlates. I, you know, I didn't bring that up in our class at all. I didn't talk about, you know, the points that are there in the hands, but 
um, that actually gives me ideas because we are um, we taught our first uh, class last week. We have a another class this week for adults, and then after that, we're going to teach kids. And um, that reminds me of a few exercises I can do with kids around, um, you know, qigong. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I just had an image of like you know how the the Chinese use the red string for good luck. Mm-hmm. with bracelets with it whatever i just had this like picture of like taping um like a red string to make that circle you know when you do the, the qigong hands like there, there's an exercise in qigong everybody that you stand you know solidly on your two feet balanced da, 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 legs at this state and you hold your hands with your palms facing in and your fingertips pointed at one another and it's meant to increase the flow of energy in, in your body. And it's palpable when you practice for a significant mm-hmm. amount of time. I had kind of this image of, of kids with their fingertips touching and this red string going like sort of across their hearts and all the way to the other side so that they could visualize the, the circle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great I idea. Like it. That might just be in the class then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come work with you. Yeah, that sounds great. We, we, we are um, going to put our, our adult classes up online uh, for oh, purchase good. at some point. So um, that will happen after the classes are completed. But oh, um, please do let yeah. me know when you do that so I can share it with all the listeners. I'll also share it on my private Instagram. Well, my, it's my business Instagram page. And on my Facebook, I'll share that everywhere because that it's such an important thing that I think still not a lot of people know about even people that I know that are in the world of spirituality and meditation and self-awareness and, and personal growth. I've, I've found that a lot of people still don't know about this particular thing. Mm-hmm. And I've found it so incredibly helpful in my own life that if I can help you get that information out there, I would I would love that. And I'd be super happy to. So when that comes out, um, I will definitely, definitely be into it. (laughs) I'm already into it. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I think that that was amazing. Yay. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was really a great conversation. And I feel like there was so much value just given in 45 minutes. I mean, I just, it feels really great to me. So before we finish up, I just would like to know if there's anything that you'd like to close with, anything else that you'd like to share? No, not off the top of my head. (laughs) Yeah, as I know, I'm putting you on the spot again. Sometimes there's something sort of floating around in the back of your brain. So I wanted to, to create some space for that if it was necessary. Well, everybody, once again, this was my conversation with Molly Dyer, who is a licensed acupuncturist and herbologist and also a tap dance instructor. This was a wonderful conversation for me to have, and I'm so grateful for Molly's time, knowledge, experiences, and wisdom. So I will end with that. Molly, thank you. Thank you so much. And let me know when that comes out so I can share it. Okay, will do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.